voters trump polls i'm jessica denson and this is lights on it was truly a hellish week for donald trump and republicans let's recap it started off with the four-time indicted ex-president forced on the witness stand in an historically obscene show of disregard for judge and goran that let's be clear would have had any other witness held in contempt and thrown in jail Trump nonetheless gave prosecutors damning and self-incriminating testimony that implicates his company in fraud. Between the ego, the victim card, and the constant deflecting attacks, he just can't help himself. Two days later, his poor daughter Ivanka was forced to do the same. I'm just worried about her children. Was there anybody to look after them while she was throwing Grandpop under the bus? because it looks like she spent her precious resources on a blowout. I diverge. <laughs> Skip to the end of the week. We learn that Jack Smith has witnesses at Mar-a-Lago from Trump's plumber to his chauffeur. When Trump learned that the maid who cleans his bedroom was talking to prosecutors, he reportedly went ballistic. And speaking of ballistic, Trump may be in serious violations, violation of his terms of release after we just learned that a Trump gun was auctioned off at Mar-a-Lago. Criminal defendants are prohibited under federal law from transacting firearms. Jack Smith, as always, is watching. And in the middle of all of that hell that Donald Trump and his friends went through, this flagrant criminal and the party he leads were absolutely clobbered in an off-year election that handed Democrats sweeping victories from Ohio to Virginia to Kentucky and Pennsylvania and beyond. What does this all say? A president who is highly effective, even into his 80s, and the party he leads are promising and delivering real freedom, and the voters know it. With all of the threats on election workers, the incessant attempts on voter suppression, the stochastic terrorism of Donald Trump, it's rather remarkable that Biden and Democrats have been defying expectations time and again, delivering wins for democracy. But I know you've been hearing this all week on the news, the continuing uh, celebration of the mandate voters just gave Biden. These reports are come right after they admit something must be off with all the polls, right? <laughs> Look, I don't believe the polls, especially this far out. But I do believe that Donald Trump is doing everything he can to end American democracy as we know it. He will continue to lie, cheat, and terrorize. And if we are going to keep winning on the side of truth, we cannot let our guard down for one second. From the disgraced ex-president to his fascist friends in Ohio who just threatened to ignore the will of the voters on issue one, to the GOP shilling for Putin while denying support for Ukraine, they are telling us who they are. Believe them. We're also gonna take a moment at the end of the show for our continuing coverage of the Middle East and the connection between the bad actors thriving on destruction and threatening democracy. A friend of Lights On is on the ground reporting in Gaza in unthinkable circumstances. And we're gonna share some of his reporting with you. So please stick around for that. My guest today is a big time social media influencer, tech CEO and democratic campaign veteran. Stop doom scrolling, start doing something is his motto. Brian Derrick, welcome to Lights On. Thank you, Jessica. It's great to be here. I'm really excited to chat with you. Me too. So, I mean, we constantly are dealing with this like contrast of a sane and effective Democratic Party and a criminal and fascist, you know, party led by this man who has been indicted four times, is a convicted, you know, convicted of being liable for sexual assault. We could go on and on. I mean, what is your reaction to this madness? What a tough choice, right? I know, right? <laughs> I, I can see why everyone's so conflicted. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was a great week for Democrats. I woke up with a huge smile on my face on Wednesday because you can point to polls all you want, but as people like to say, the best predictor of voting behavior is voting behavior. And Boom. that's what we saw on Tuesday when people showed up in force in Virginia and Pennsylvania and New Jersey and 
really all across the United States, more than 25 states had elections on Tuesday. Um, and we saw these sweeping victories um, that were just so far beyond what was expected. I mean, you had Andy Bashir win the governor seat in Kentucky by a larger margin than the Republican governor of Mississippi won his seat. And that's a pretty remarkable thing. Um, when you also factor in the Pennsylvania Supreme Court win, uh, the change in the Virginia House of Delegates. And I mean, we can get into all of my favorite victories uh, as we're taking this victory lap this week. But by all accounts and measures, it was a great week for Biden and for Democrats universally. Absolutely. For both. You cannot separate that. And that's one of the things that like irks me about the media. They try to separate it. They're like, oh, but it wasn't it wasn't for a win for Biden. You know, the voters are looking past Biden. I'm like, this is the party. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, People react to what's in front of them. And yeah. no one uh, can really make it through the day without hearing some kind of reference to the Biden administration, what's happening, especially if you're plugged into the news, into the, the I, I think the drama that they love to put out there about the polling, particularly after Sunday's New York Times Siena poll. Um, and so people were aware of what the nar the narrative is, and yet they still showed up and they voted yeah. in huge numbers for Democrats. Yeah. And what it, I mean, what it always gets to for me, and we can get to what, yeah, I really want to hear about which one of those victories was special to you, especially because you're from Ohio. I imagine yes, that I one am. had to be pretty special. Go um, but <laughs> there you go. Um, especially, you know, to me, when I see you see like, exa for example, with issue one, 56 percent of Ohioans voting for this when the state went overwhelmingly for Trump, it's there's this disconnect between issues and kind of party preference that I think a lot of voters still need to be educated on. Like there's so many people, I think, Brian, that still fall into what I used to fall into, which is this concept, this completely baseless and false notion that the Republicans are either the party of freedom or the party of like, you know, taking on crime and law and order or that they're right. the party of national security. Like they don't stand up for any of these things. And when you take it down issue by issue, the overwhelming majority of people, even in red states, are siding with Democrat policies. I think that that's exactly right. And there does seem to be this disconnect between what people care about and what the parties are focused on delivering and what the overall narrative is and the brand of, of the two parties. Yeah. Um, I think one of the most consistent things that people will say about Republicans is that they're fiscally conservative. But when you look <laughs> at the data, it's one of my um, go-to points on, on this subject. It tells the exact opposite story where both in over the, la the course of the last four presidencies and dating all the way back to World War II, Either way you slice it, Republicans have added more to the national debt than Democrats have in, yeah. in the White House. And so it really does spin this interesting narrative about what drives our perceptions of the parties and what people are basing those perceptions on versus what's actually happening in Congress, um, or if you're a House Republican, not happening in Congress. <laughs> yeah because of the, the the disconnect between what, what the two parties are delivering. Um, and so when I hear bad news about polls for Biden, like you, I tend to brush that off, especially this far out from the presidential election. The thing that I focus on is what's going to happen when Biden really puts some oomph into telling people about what he has accomplished, because not enough people know about the long list of things that he has gotten passed. I mean, um, huge pieces of legislation that that we can dive into, but I think that the communication around that and the strategy, the room that he's gonna have to educate people about the accomplishments of his administration should help to close that gap between the brand and what people expect and what actually is being focused on and accomplished uh, by the Democratic Party. Yeah, I mean, let's go through some of those accomplishments. Infrastructure, CHIPS Act, PAC Act, you know, I mean, give Judges. us some of the accomplishments. I want to totally. hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. Probably the most important one, uh, the Biden administration had their 150th 
yes, federal that's judge on my list. confirmed <laughs> this so week. Huge. So um, huge. Huge. Absolutely. Uh, those are lifetime appointments that will yes. completely change the course of our federal judiciary. And I know that they are making that a focus moving forward as yeah. we to continue uh, confirming more. As you mentioned, infrastructure just this week, President Biden announced $16 billion uh, of investment in Amtrak, the largest ever investment in passenger rail in our country's history in order to modernize um, and make the Amtrak rails more accessible, reliable, and faster. Um, that impacts millions of people's lives who need and count on Amtrak to get to work or to visit family. Um, then you have the CHIPS Act, which is one of his most popular bills when people understand what it does. And it really is bringing manufacturing back and the future of technology back to the United States rather than being outsourced to, to other countries China. abroad. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, And that's another foil that Republicans always use. They're always like, we're the tough on China party. Well, here's Joe Biden and the Democrats really standing up for like American innovation and and manufacturing and, you know, exactly. Leadership. You can't take on the world just by cutting things. You have yes. to build something. And that's what Democrats are trying to do. They're trying to build the future, the future of green energy, the future of transportation, the future of manufacturing. They want that to exist here in the United States and to bring people jobs and lift people up into the middle class and beyond. And I think that to say that you're you're tough on China and you're going to just cut and impose tariffs and um, it is not a forward thinking, long term positive vision for the country. And I think that the more that Democrats can talk about that and put that forward, the more people will see that. Um, in addition to chips, I would just also highlight the bipartisan gun deal that Joe Biden got yeah. done, which everyone said was impossible, yeah. had literally been in, in gridlock for 30 years. And he broke that and got a deal done last summer. Um, I and mean, that's something you never hear about, by the way. Never. Never. Everyone, right, exactly. And now he uh, has also created the Office of Gun Violence Prevention, yeah. like making it a real focus and putting dollars behind it uh, yeah. because we all know that it is such an issue that affects millions of Americans every yeah. single day and the way that we move Number around Number one cause of death of children in, in America is guns. Horrifying. How can yeah. that not be your top issue, right? Like exactly. get something yeah. done. And, and that really is what Biden has focused on is how do we get something done on all of these issue areas? The PACT Act, I think you mentioned healthcare for veterans, um, the Inflation Reduction Act, yeah. the largest investment inflation in- reduction. Yeah, exactly. Green right. energy. In green energy and fighting climate change. <laughs> um, and so, and then you have yeah. like student loan forgiveness. From, and this is all, mind you, all of this is from the 80 year old president people, okay? Right. Ain't nothing but a number. The guy knows what's going on. Yeah, it's it's really stark to compare the number and the sheer um, scope of the legislative accomplishments of the last three years compared to obviously to Donald Trump's presidency, he got like oh one major piece of legislation passed, but even yeah. to eight years of President Obama, who I love and um, you know, and support still to this day, but the, the bills that Biden has gotten through in what was a 50-50 Senate and a very small majority in the House are just kind of remarkable. And I don't think yes. that he gets his due on that front. Not at all. Not at all. And I wanted to go back. It's almost like you knew what I was going to talk about. I, I wanted to go back to the judges for a minute because that is so significant. Like you said, he appointed his 150th federal judge this week. Of all of his appointments, two-thirds are women, two-thirds are people of color. There's many from um, underrepresented fields on the bench, like labor, uh, immigration lawyers, public defenders, civil rights lawyers. I mean, this is so, so vital to have these diverse perspectives in in the judiciary. Um, you know, I kind of like, like I, I was having a doomsday thinking of, oh my God, what if Trump or even a Republican gets in office in, in 2024, 2025, and another Supreme Court seat comes empty and they appoint another conservative judge. And then we have an eight two Supreme Court, my God almighty. I mean, judges from, you know, the Fed, from the district courts to the appellate courts to the Supreme Court, they are making vital decisions that affect all of us. Unequivocally, you, you are 100% correct. And I think that people left of center, whether you identify as Democratic or not, 
I think are waking up to the power that judges have in this country. That's why we saw such a huge turnout for the Pennsylvania Supreme Court uh, this past Tuesday. That's why we saw such enthusiasm for Judge Janet when uh, she flipped the Wisconsin Supreme Court in uh, in April. And that's why we're seeing such um, enthusiasm behind President Biden's confirmations, because we know now we've seen the price that we have that we pay if we sleep on judges and on the judiciary while Republicans run laps on confirming more and more. Uh, Mitch McConnell has made it his life's mission to take over the, the judiciary for a generation. And in many ways, he has succeeded in stealing seats on the Supreme Court. And so the idea of another conservative um, on the court, on the Supreme Court, uh, as a result of the next presidential should be enough to keep everyone laser focused on anyone with a D next to their name in 2024. It's just a cannot lose situation for the Supreme Court alone. Absolutely. Absolutely. I said uh, two, eight. My math was off. I, of course, meant two, seven. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, I got um, you. You got me. <laughs> I think we all. But um, yeah, absolutely. It is so, so serious. And, you know, you look at a place like Ohio. Let's go back to Ohio for a minute, Derek and or Brian, how special this is to you and what already Republicans are doing to try to rebuff the will of the voters. They are not hiding their fascist attempt intents. Um, they put out this press release today um, that literally says that they do not believe that um, issue one has legislative authority. Um, they called the passing of it foreign election interference. I guess those 56% of Ohioans were all shipped in from I don't know where, Russia. Um, And they said, quote, to prevent mischief by pro-abortion courts with issue one, Ohio legislators will consider removing jurisdiction from the judiciary over this ambiguous ballot initiative. Unbelievable. And yet for the Ohio Republicans that I know, it is very on brand. I, like you said, I grew up in Ohio. I went to yeah. uh, Ohio State. I still have family there. I care a lot about what happens. Yeah. And I have watched year after year as Ohio Republicans have abused their power and their majorities in the state legislature to take more and more power that was not and should not be theirs. They have gerrymandered the state to a degree that makes it impossible for Democrats to win a majority in the legislature unless they win 60 plus percent of the vote, um, which in a a purple, purple state like Ohio is is just outrageous. Um, While Republicans can win upwards of 75% of the seats with about 49% of the vote. um, And they have continually doubled down on abusing that power, even when courts have tried to put them in check. They passed passed a citizen-initiated ballot referendum, I think it was in 2018, to remove the partisan map making that was going on and give power back to Ohio voters so that voters could choose their elected officials and not vice versa. And Republicans ignored that ballot measure pretty much outright to the point that voters went to court and it went to the Ohio Supreme Court. And the court said, you're not following the proper procedure. You need to redraw these maps. These are an unacceptable partisan gerrymander. And they passed new maps, still a partisan gerrymander, went to the court again. And the same process repeated four or even five times because the Republicans refused to draw a map that was fair. And as you're alluding to, it's because If they do, they know they will lose their seats. Uh, And that's what we saw happen on Tuesday when 13, uh, uh, the ballot measure, Ohio issue one, won by 13 plus points because Ohioans want their rights back and they want to have a power, they want to have power, they want to have a voice in how the state is run. And Republicans right now are doing everything they can to take that away from them. It was also very obvious from 
the special election that they scheduled in August. If you didn't follow this yeah. closely, um, it was clear that after they were collecting hundreds of thousands of petition signatures, that issue one about reproductive rights was going to be on the November ballot. And yeah. so in response, Republicans mobilized to schedule an August special election to raise the threshold for that ballot measure to pass from 50% to 60%, which again, in a purple state like Ohio is almost impossible to attain. And so again, we had to wheel out the, the clipboards and, and get all everyone knocking on doors yeah. twice to defeat them mm -hmm. in August and then again in November. Um, and you would think that they would run with their tail between their legs after two resounding defeats like that. But as you're saying, they're just here to fight back and cling. The, the more that we try to push them out, the more they cling to the yeah. power that they have. Like I say, the devil is busy because he knows his time is short. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. But yeah, this these attempts with minority rule and, and what was I mean, what happened in Ohio with, you know, what happened over the summer? where they have two ballot two initiatives called issue one there was so much trickery going on like you had to vote you know no to issue one in the summer yes to issue one in the fall and then the, the language on issue one in this election being beyond the language of the actual amendment so if voters were not properly educated and you know hats off to the pro-democracy majority in, in yeah. Ohio for really educating the voters about really what was really going on here. So they were not deceived at the ballot box. Exactly. And um, there was also this behind the scenes fight over the language um, that the ballot measure would have, where it ultimately is up to the state's attorney general as to uh, approving that language. They're going through the same fight right now with a ballot measure for next year. Um, and Republicans, again, will just use any power at their disposal to try to make it harder for um, people to have their voice heard uh, in, in, yeah. in the process. Yeah. And there was a very disingenuous campaign against issue one that they tried to make about parents' rights and your kids being turned trans in school and all kinds of misinformation and disinformation to scare people with these same tropes that they're always trying to stir up that are anti-LGBT, that are anti-woman, that are um, I, I really anti-common sense uh, in order to try to scare yes. people into voting the way that they want. Um, and we're all thrilled Positive note, we are all thrilled that that was not successful um, and the Buckeye State yeah. turned out uh, for issue one. And I couldn't be couldn't be happier. Issue two as well, the uh, legalization of marijuana also passed. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're proud of Ohio. I'm proud of my home state of Virginia, which also gave a total shellacking to Governor Zipper Vest, yeah. as I call him. Yes. You know, the friendly fascist, your friendly neighborhood fascist, Glenn Youngkin. <laughs> In a vest, in a vest, and, it, yeah. In a vest, yeah. Um, who was absolutely denied his ability to pass what he very clearly signaled he would, which would have been a 15-week abortion ban. Right. Um, as I've you know, reminded our viewers, Virginia was one of the last holdouts in the South where you could still get a legal abortion. I mean, this is a serious healthcare issue for people living in the South in our country. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, they denied him that opportunity. Um, huge for Virginia, because Virginia's kind of been like, Virginia was blue, then now it's just been going red and, you know, kind yeah. of gotten sucked into, I think a lot of areas in Virginia have gotten sucked into those culture wars that you were talking about um, and being kind of deceived by them. So um, I'm very grateful. Virginia's for lovers, lovers of democracy. It's yeah. Grateful to see them back on track. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and because Virginia is in this off cycle year, right? It doesn't yeah. vote during for, for their state legislature during presidential elections. The, the big years are in these off cycles. I think it gets so much national attention that the issues yeah. do tend to become really nationalized. And we see this proxy war play out yeah. where the stakes are just so high. Everyone's saying that if Republicans sweep that Glenn Youngkin was going to have this smooth path to to winning the nomination, um, or at least at least a, a mano a mano against Trump. Um, just this this really trumped up narrative about the importance there. Um, but we had our own narrative, exactly as you're saying. It was the last state in the South without 
an abortion ban. Yeah. And if we lost our tiny majority in the Senate, that was gone. But like we 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 would lose that. And so very real consequences for people yes. on the ground outside of the national political narrative. And so exciting to see. I literally was jumping for joy <laughs> on Instagram when we held the Senate because I knew then that they wouldn't be able to um, restrict abortion access. They wouldn't be able to restrict um, voting rights ahead of 2024, mess with the presidential election. And then once we flipped the House of Delegates, I was actually over the moon. Um, my 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 head might have hit the ceiling on, on that one. Um, <laughs> And in addition to winning the Senate, in addition to winning the House of Delegates, we also did so well farther down ballot in there were city council races and there were also a lot of school board races in Virginia. Um, you had Moms for Liberty candidates endorsed all over the place. Yes. Um, running these these culture war kind of campaigns of um, parental rights and anti-LGBT themes, anti-CRT um, kind of rhetoric, and they went down in flames as yeah. well. So it was across I think in the Pennsylvania board. too, which is great. And in Pennsylvania, yeah, yeah. Bucks County, um, Montgomery. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There, there were so many. I think yeah. in like across five states, I did see some data because we were tracking a lot of elections um, via oath, uh, my platform. And, and I want to talk about more about that on the other side of. Uh, oh yeah. So, of yeah. course. Um, and we were tracking a lot. And from my count, Moms for Liberty lost about 70%, if not a little more, of their races across the board, which is a total reversal of fortune from um, the last off-cycle school board uh, slate that they pushed. Yeah. What does that tell you? It tells you that it's all bluster. It's all facade. Like you said, it's all like this culture war nonsense. And once people realize what it's really doing, they want no part of it. Exactly. And it really, it, it, there's nothing, there's no there there, no. right? Maybe they'll catch you in this moment of anger um, and they'll say something shocking or um, make you believe that something's happening that's not happening, like the litter boxes in schools, things like that, like that just really set people off. They're like, what? Like, what are you talking about? But as soon as you peel that layer back, that facade, as, as you yeah. said, um, there's, there's nothing there. They have no vision. They have no experience. They have no plan to help students. And that is what these bodies are supposed to be about, is how can you run a school district in a way that promotes education and the well-being of students? Um, and so I am thrilled that so many voters saw straight through that and flipped a bunch of school boards right back to people who are going to be focused on, on the kids in those schools. Yeah, they saw through it. And we're seeing these victories, like you mentioned, Brian, with all of these headwinds that are trying to attack the democratic process. I mean, just this week, we learned that election officials in multiple states in Georgia, Nevada, California, Oregon, and Washington received fentanyl-laced letters. This is domestic terrorism um, targeting elections. I wonder who's um, inspiring this. Um, we had found out before that, that Yunkin had purged 3,400 legal voters ahead of election day. They claimed, mm -hmm. um, his office claimed it was a mistake and they corrected it, but was it quick enough? I don't know. I mean, some really questionable things happening there. I noticed another, um, county in Mississippi, um, Hines County, they're Mississippi's most populous county in the home of, um, the 83% black capital of Jackson ran out of ballots. Um, uh, there was, you know, litigation over this and they extended the polls until 8 p.m. But apparently this is something that routinely happens in majority black districts. Um, these voter suppression efforts are in full force, um, both stochastic terrorism and voter suppression. Um, and yet and yet we're overcoming these um, with with these amazing wins. Yeah, it's it's worth pausing and thinking about because it's something yeah. that we hear and that gets spun into the overall narrative usually looped in to trump and kind of becomes this footnote but there is a through line since over the last eight or so years in our national politics of an increasing prevalence of violence of violent language yeah. threats um and it's really concerning because it's such an anti-democratic impulse at its heart that it's coming from that people feel I will win or I will resort to violence. Um, 
I, I just looked, uh, uh, the most recent poll that I could find said that over a third of Republicans believe that, quote, patriots may have to resort to violence to save the country. Um, compare that with 13% of Democrats who would who would say the same thing. That's extremely concerning um, because we can have an honest political discourse. We can disagree about um, the best policy solution. That disagreement shouldn't devolve into violence, threats against elected officials, which we've seen an increasing number of people go to prison for, or taking, as you're saying, actual terrorist action yes. against the people who are just trying to make our elections run. Yeah, um, Adrian Font as a secretary of state in Arizona testified before Congress that uh, of an election worker, worker having her dogs poisoned. I mean, that is that is the extent of, wow. of threats. And you you know, Brian, I'm sure you've heard that the, the trouble of getting election workers because of these threats. I mean, it's, it's a very serious. Th this you know, people act like the continued normalization of Donald Trump, like we can just treat him like a normal political figure when he is stoking all of this. He is normalizing this, mainstreaming it and allowing it. And his party does not reject it. Totally. This is who they are. Totally. It ha it should and has to be a full throated condemnation of all yes. kinds of, of, of political violence across the board. It doesn't matter what the what your voter registration looks like. Um, or what part of your party you're in, there is no excuse not to have a consistent and immediate shutdown of any uh, push for that kind of violence. And yet we have Republicans constantly excusing our former president's own call to violence of his, um, we'll call them loyalists, uh, <laughs> of these domestic terrorists who who then went on to commit egregious yeah. acts of violence that led to death of of multiple yes. capitol police officers and so i think that as long as trump is at the helm it will be impossible for the republican party to have an honest dialogue about the problem and to face it head on because they're making excuses for the person who who drives a lot of it 100% epidemic of silence among them, like I always say. Right. Um, let's take a quick break, Brian, and then I want to I want to get really into the work that you do at Oath, and also, you know, just kind of these threats from Donald Trump that he's he's broadcasting for 2025, and how we how we make sure that never happens after this quick break. Heart health and staying healthy, especially when you have a family that you want to be able to spend as much time with as possible it's so important we all have a heartfelt reason to support our blood pressure in fact more than half of the u.s population would benefit from blood pressure support super beats heart shoes are an easy and convenient way to support healthy blood pressure and they promote heart healthy energy paired with a healthy lifestyle the antioxidants in super beets are clinically shown to be nearly two times more effective at promoting normal blood pressure than a healthy lifestyle alone and with over 30,000 five-star reviews and counting super beets heart shoes are having their moment super beets heart shoes are incredibly delicious and so much better than any alternative supplements out there I take my Super Beats heart shoes each morning and it's really kick-started my morning routine. After taking my Super Beats heart shoes, I feel like I have more energy and I'm ready to take on the day. Super Beats heart shoes support healthy circulation so you not only get blood pressure support, you also get productive, heart-healthy energy without the crash. Double your potential with Super Beats Heart Chews. Get a 30-day supply of Super Beats Heart Chews and 15% off your first order by going to GetSuperBeats.com and use the promo code LIGHTS. That's GetSuperBeats.com and use the code LIGHTS, L-I-G-H-T-S. And now... Back to the show. Lomi is the only appliance that prevents food waste from stinking up your kitchen and polluting the planet. Now that I've invested in a Lomi, it's changed the way I deal with my food waste. Lomi is the biggest innovation in the modern day kitchen since the dishwasher. Lomi has helped me turn my home into a climate solution. 
Now I can transfer my organic waste into nutrient-rich loamy earth that I can feed to my plants, lawn, or garden instead of sending it to the landfill. I can help the environment and make my life easier. In just four hours, Lomi transforms almost anything you eat into nutrient-rich plant food at the push of a button. It's smart, simple food recycling that fits in your space perfectly. Cut the chore of doing the trash in half and eliminate odors in your kitchen. And here's a bonus. You get to feed your lawn and garden with an all-natural fertilizer that you just created out of your food scraps. All of my food scraps, plant clippings, and even leftovers I may have forgotten in the back of the fridge can go back into my garden, helping me grow more nutritious food at home. I learned that food waste makes up a huge portion of our personal carbon footprint. By reducing the amount of food I send to landfill, I'm helping do my part for the planet. So whether you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just grow a beautiful garden, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash lights and use the promo code lights to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi.com slash lights and use the promo code lights at checkout. Thank you, Lomi, for sponsoring this episode. So I want to talk about what's been dubbed Project 2025, this really, um, you know, flagrant, um, really announcement of what Trump and his allies intend to do if he is given back the White House. Um, two words, Insurrection Act. He's got this, um, you know, his co-defendant in Georgia, the guy who he had at the Justice Department, Jeffrey Clark, um, you know, working up this plan for Donald Trump to invoke the Insurrection Act on day one because he knows that, God forbid, um, he gets somehow in the White House again, that this country is going to be outraged. Like we are we are we're going to like, you know, not be able to take this. And so to <laughs> to um, to silence the opposition, to, um, you know, put down the protests of, God forbid, his second term. Um, he's going to invoke the Insurrection Act um, to quash opposition to his presidency. Horrifying. 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 Imagine being al almost 18 months out from taking office and already threatening to institute what what essentially would turn into like martial law. Yes. Um, that's that's horrifying to think about. And really only one piece of an equal, equally horrifying plan, the, the overall thrust of Project 2025 being that too much of our professional, uh, our, our institutions, I'll say, mm -hmm. prevented Trump from enacting his worst impulses when he wanted to expand the power of the president into the power of an authoritarian office. Um, there were lots of checks and balances set up in our government to say no, that, that you can't do that. That's why we, for four years under Trump, constantly heard about court battles was because he was trying to run roughshod over our democracy. And so now they have this new plan. Um, I believe it's Schedule F that they, they will use this loophole in to fire 50,000 plus federal employees yep. and replace them pretty much overnight with um, people who will do and, and say yes. whatever Trump wants. And that truly is horrifying. a horrifying. Uh, we're going to use that word a lot, but it, it, it's hard to, to uh, refute it it really would be a nightmare scenario for democracy. And because I do talk about politics online a lot, I get questions all the time throughout this process. Like, is Trump worse? I heard um, uh, uh, Haley say this thing, or I heard Vivek say this thing, and, and maybe they'll actually be worse than Trump. And for this reason in particular, he is the worst case scenario um, because he has already tried to break our democracy. He found the stress points and has spent years now toiling with people like um, the Heritage Foundation to make a plan for how they can make their attacks more um, more successful next time. And, and that is a really scary, scary thought. Yeah, what you describe about his plan to install his loyalists, his sycophants in civil service is absolutely, I'll say it again, horrifying. And um, I've, I've say, I say on this program a lot, 
uh, Brian, I know these kinds of people because I worked with them in 2016. They are the most dangerous, the most, um, you know, they have no scruples, they have no guardrails, they have no ethical um, dilemmas with doing things that are completely out of the bounds. And, you know, I know of one of them targeted me and he was he was in the Trump administration. He's like, you know, fucking survivor in the Trump administration until he finally got pushed out. And then wh what happened? He got brought back by Trump in the 11th hour when he was pushing everybody out at the end of his pre presidency and bringing in the the those most loyal people. And you are so right. What he will do if he gets the reins of power again is the things that he was not able to do before. Um, and he will install the real deep state in American government, not the fake deep state that they say exists now, but the real deep state that will target. Yes. Will it target the rest of us? Yes. But who will it who will it even target the Donald Trump supporters need to know? Ultimately, it will even target them the moment that something in their life, which it will inevitably comes in conflict with Donald Trump's self-interest. They will be thrown under the bus the very people that stand by him right now. Absolutely. And we'll all be worse off Yeah, because government serves an important function. And I think we have lost um, a lot of respect for people who are in public service, not our elected officials, but people who work to make things run and make the buses show up on time and, and everything else. It takes professionals in many settings to do that well, to work in the Department of Treasury and to work in the White House and to work in the Department of Justice. And the idea that we can just push all of these people out and then replace them with people who agree with everything that we say politically and that we're not gonna break anything is, is obviously outrageous. And that is their intent, is to break our federal government. Um, so we would all end up in a worse scenario. I think the other parts of Project 2025 that really concern me that I don't think are talked about enough, I would add, he has explicitly said that they want to go around Congress for confirmations. He couldn't get a lot of his really extremist appointments confirmed by the Senate. And so they're just going to appoint acting appointees and, and not do confirmation That's hearings anymore. Dangerous. They want to remove press from the White House. They th they think that press has no business um, having a workspace in the White House. So the, an authoritarian playbook. Exactly. God. Exactly. Turn out the lights. Um, and we're we're on the right podcast for that. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and the uh, the other really concerning component uh, centers on DOJ. Yeah. And his obsession with oh, ven retribution. vengeance. Retribution. Exactly. Yeah. The the theme of the Trump 2024 campaign should be vengeance and power, because that is what it's about. It's about getting unchecked power to yeah. manipulate our democracy for his own aims. And it's about using that power to then exact revenge on people who he feels have wronged him in some way. And shocking to all of your viewers, I'm sure. That is not the purpose of the presidency. That is not what our federal government is built for. Um, and it would be an absolute disaster, the, the end of our democracy to see it used for those purposes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wanted to um, play this clip. You know, we've talked about these polls and whether or not they're accurate and how they are definitely doomsday, though. They would definitely discourage us if they could, wouldn't they? Totally. Um, I wanted to play this video of a Republican voter and his sentiments on the Biden-Trump matchup. Is there any chance you would stay at home on Election Day? No. I, I love American democracy too much that uh, Biden and Trump, if it's a Biden and Trump, race, then I would vote for Biden, even if he was dead. No chance I'd say home. I've never and I'm a Republican. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of in the same camp. Like totally, totally. Yeah. I mean, literally anything, anyone, anyone before any, Trump, I mean, my cat, you know, your dog, anybody. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And that is the thing when people feel really panicked, um, which yeah. I get, I do get a lot of people coming to me because they know that I work in politics and, and, yeah. and they're stressed and they're, and they're panicked about 2024. That is one data point that I like to point to is that when you talk to people who 
are very apprehensive about Biden or just really unenthused by a, a rematch of 2020, which is a lot of people. When you ask those people who say, well, well, neither of them. But if you were going to vote, which one would you vote for? I think that Biden wins that group by like 60 points. Um, and so it will just be a, a question of making sure people are aware of what the stakes are and making sure they actually show up on yeah. or before election day. Uh, and if we do both of those things, then I feel fully confident that Biden will have a second term. Yeah. And speaking of doing those things, that is definitely um, the work that you do. And I know that you kind of started um, in campaigns and then you, you built this extraordinary following on Instagram and you now have this really, um, you know, forward thinking platform called Oath. Can you explain what you're doing with Oath? Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah. I have been a fundraiser for most of my career, uh, also a campaign manager and worked in communications. And being on the inside of campaigns, I saw a lot of really perverse incentives and practices that were trying to raise money for causes that people believed in, but using tactics that were not appropriate. And donors on the flip side of that were being inundated with these texts and emails asking for $5 here and $20 here, and not really knowing who needed it and where they should be putting those dollars to actually make a difference. And so that is why I left Campaign World to create Oath, which is essentially a pro bono donor advisor for everyone, where you can choose the issues or the states that you're focused on, we crunch all the numbers and make recommendations about where your donations and your time will have the greatest impact. And so it's everything from president down to school board races. We had tons of races uh, on Tuesday that we had been recommending to people all year this year. Um, and it's the chance for people of all giving capacities to really have the resources and the analysis like you're a millionaire uh, or a billionaire with a full-time political team. Uh, we want to democratize what that advising looks like. And we did that by building a tech platform that's free for anyone to use. Uh, so you can go to oath.vote and find the donation, um, split it really easily between a few candidates who actually really need it and where your dollars are going to do the most good. I think it's such a brilliant idea, Brian, because first of all, people have limited resources to, you know, contribute. They want to help, but you know, we don't all have we don't all have that billionaire fund to exactly. put into politics and you want to put it where it matters most and where it's needed. And I think with this platform, I mean, you can really make a change. I think about, you know, some cases in California that people think of California as a blue state. Well, we might've lost the house in 2022 because of some losses in California. Exactly. And I can think of some congressional races that could have really used um, that investment. And it sounds like Oath is really finding out where those missing links are and directing funds in that direction. Exactly. That's, that is exactly right. We evaluate every candidate of uh, thousands of races across three metrics. How competitive is the race? What are the stakes? So what happens if we win? Could it flip a whole chamber? Or yeah. are there other competitive elections on that same ballot? Uh, and what are, what's the financial need? And so how much has this candidate raised? How much has their opponent raised? How expensive is the media market? Those kinds of factors. And that allows us to try to create a, a common system to rate the value, the relative value of your donation in different races. And again, just take you could that way a donor can take an action in 30 seconds that's built on thousands of hours of research um, to have maximum, maximum impact. Great. And people can find Oath. You have a, an app, right? It's not, you don't have to download it. Don't have uh, to download it. Okay. You can, you can go to oath.vote oath and donate um, or, or sign up and we'll okay. send you recommendations based on uh, what you care about. So whether that's reproductive rights or LGBT equality, gun safety, climate change, Arizona, flipping the house, it can be really any, any interest that you have. It's personalized to, to you. Uh, and we'll make recommendations and give you reminders to also give when it is most impactful because people usually wait too late and then your dollars yeah. don't do much good uh, the day or the week before the election. Very nice. So oath.vote, definitely check it out.
Um, Brian, it's been such a pleasure uh, to have you here on Lights On. Before you go, is there anything you want to add or any, even anything you want to ask me? Um, anything you want to leave oh us with? Oh my goodness. I, um, <laughs> I have a lot. I, as you said at the very beginning, my yeah. big theme in politics is to stop doom scrolling and start doing something. Yes. So I'm curious if there is something, hopefully something we haven't talked about yet that um, has given you hope recently and um, really made you excited about the future of our politics or our country, um, something that you saw that gave you hope? Ah. Well, I, I mean, let me just take a moment of personal privilege. I mean, the courts in my cases have given me hope. And that's, you know, Absolutely. that's the doing something that I've done in a big way is using the judicial system um, and, and uh, you know, asserting the rights, using the law. And that, that to me, that has been such, you know, we have so many tools at our disposal, Brian, that we don't use. And I think we just have to utilize them. They're right yeah. there for us. We just have to pick them up. And so um, seeing the courts um, work, seeing justice work, I mean, we I've, I've, I don't think I've even ever mentioned this on Lights On, but the judge that just um, ordered that settlement into law that voided hundreds of Trump NDAs, he's a G.W. Bush appointee. He's a Republican. Um, you know, we can, Republicans can do the right thing if we hold them to that higher standard, if we do not ex accept this minority rule, fascist, you know, lawless, um, you know, kind of BS that they're trying to force on all of us. Yeah. Um, and, and we just, we have to hold each other to it. We have to pick up those tools um, and they are effective and it's not easy. It's not easy. It is, it's, it demands so much of us. It can feel exhausting. It can feel, you know, you can you go through defeats before you get to the victories but you know being part of living in this moment i mean i think of this all the time brian the fact that you and i are living in this moment when american democracy is being tested mm. like it never has before and we are literally the ones who are going to determine whether it survives i mean my god what a privilege right absolutely Absolutely. And clearly you have answered the call, right? And, <laughs> and are doing everything that you can and bringing many along with you in that, in that fight for democracy. So thank you for that. Uh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Brian. Um, everybody, you know, follow Brian on Instagram, Brian Derrick on Instagram and check out Oath.Vote. And I hope to see you again sometime on Lights On. Can't wait. Sounds good. Thanks okay. for having me. Sure. My pleasure. Okay, uh, friends, as I mentioned at the top, I, I want to take a trip around the world. Um, I got to be honest, I've been losing some sleep over what has what is going on in the Middle East. It's it's very disturbing to me. And I continue to do my research, continue to try to educate myself about um, what's really going on here. And um, I wanted to just share some things that I have found in my research. Um, let's just, first of all, take some some statistics of where we are up until this day. Um, as we know, nearly 1,400 Israelis were killed in the Hamas attack on Israel on October 7th. Um, since that time in the fighting, 41 IDF troops have been killed. Contrast that with um, what is now surpassing 11,000 civilians killed in Gaza. 70% of Gaza's population has been displaced in one month. Um, Gaza is being described as a graveyard for children with over 4,500 children being killed. Um, also 178 Palestinians have been killed by either Israeli soldiers or settlers in the West Bank. As um, Democratic Congressman Joaquin Castro pointed out the other day in Congress, 20,000 bombs have been dropped on Gaza and just a handful of the 200 plus hostages that are um, being held by Hamas have been released. This strategy is not sustainable. And I think quite frankly, it is very, very wrong. Um, <clears throat> as I mentioned, I've been doing research about kind of the backdrop of this and the more research I do, and I've been reading a lot of the Israeli newspaper Haritz, which I highly recommend if you don't subscribe to it, um, you know, check it out. I, I've, I've been getting so much background from an Israeli perspective on this conflict. And um, what I tripped on recently was the connections, which are very out in the open, between Benjamin Netanyahu and Vladimir Putin, which 
seem ironic since Putin is linked with Iran and backing Iran. Iran, of course, is backing Hamas and attacking Israel. And yet Netanyahu defers to, to Putin. I don't know if um, anybody that is watching right now is familiar with this, but Zelensky actually offered to visit Israel after the attack to come to Israel. And Netanyahu rebuffed that offer and instead got on the phone with Vladimir Putin. Um, as I mentioned last week on the show, Vladimir, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has been open about his support for Hamas. Hamas. He gave billions of dollars to Hamas because it undermined the possibility of a two-state solution. At the same time, Netanyahu has been attacking democracy in his own country. I don't think that we can separate between the attacks on democracy and the threats and destabilization of both Israelis' national security and this utter humanitarian catastrophe in Gaza. The source is corrupt. Netanyahu is corrupt, and that's why he aligns himself with people like Vladimir Putin. That's why he campaigned in 2019 with these posters that are on the screen right now next to Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump. Um, these are corrupt forces that are trying to destabilize us and that thrive on destabilization. Um, and I think we really have to call them out to get to, to get past this heinous attack on human rights and terrorism that so many people in both Israel and Gaza are facing right now. Um, an interesting, uh, another interesting piece that I found in Haritz was um, this piece about Israelis really disdain for Netanyahu, but um, how underlying it really their their conflict with Palestinians runs deeper and how Israel really tends to lean right. It is um, despite, um, you know, Israel being a democracy, there is an illiberal trend in Israel, and there is a lot of um, the right wing usually gains the majority in Israel. There's also a lot of things we need to pay attention to, like attacks on free speech, um, demonstrators being being arrested, um, them not being allowed to um, speak, and, and speech being converted into terrorism. This is a common authoritarian. Uh, trend is to classify speech that is antagonist to the state as terrorism. A lot of these things are going on in Israel. And despite, as I was trying to lead up to this, despite Israelis leaning right, a majority of them, in one of these pieces that I read, said that um, a recent poll found Israelis overwhelmingly believe that keeping Israel a democracy strengthens the country against terrorism, which I completely agree with. That's kind of the point I'm trying to make here. Um, but the, the writer of that wrote, but if Israel's, if Israelis express such widespread commitment to democracy, even in the misery of war, sooner or later, they will have to internalize that democracy is not compatible with ongoing occupation and conflict. And I think um, what, what this gets to the root of for me is that leaders like Netanyahu, who have these anti-democratic strains, thrive on conflict. They do not thrive on peace. They do not thrive on stability. They are power hungry individuals like Vladimir Putin, like Donald Trump. They thrive on conflict. And in order to keep themselves in power, that conflict has to be sustained. Um, and we have an opportunity to really see the larger picture here of what is threatening stability all over the world. Um, speaking of Vladimir Putin and um, these, you know, unholy alliances in our own country, Ukraine aid is being threatened at a time when Vladimir Putin is really trying. He's he's so happy that the world is not paying attention to Ukraine. We are distracted by the Middle East, and Russia is taking this opportunity. Last week, they they launched one of the heaviest drone strikes on Ukraine in weeks, in the northeast, in Kharkiv, in Odessa, and Kherson, in the south, and Lviv, in the west. They struck struck uh, residential homes and critical infrastructure. And meanwhile, our 
Congress, this GOP that claims to be the champions of freedom and uh, I don't even know anymore. I think they're the champions of nothing, but they are denying aid to Ukraine and basically doing the bidding of Putin. They do not want to pass a clean aid bill to Ukraine when it is needed the most. They are trying to tie it to other legislation. And even the party's biggest supporters of Ukraine, like McConnell, um, cannot get this party to support our ally fighting for democracy in Ukraine. Um, this is who this GOP has become very overtly. Like I said, way back in that open, when they tell they tell you who they are, believe them, believe them. Um, like As I mentioned on the top, I wanted to share some footage that we have from a friend of Lights On. His name is Mohammed El Saif. His uh, family has lost absolutely everything in Gaza. Um, but thank God they are alive. Um, he is an independent journalist there in Gaza and has been shooting um, some shooting footage of just these unthinkable um, atrocities, this catastrophe that the people of Gaza are experiencing. Um, if you want to support him, he's a supporter of our show. If you want to support him, you can follow him on X at Mohammed El Saif 2. That's M O H A M E D. E-L-S-I-F-E-2 um, on Twitter, on X. And um, he also has a link to a PayPal account there where you can support his independent journalism. Um, as I mentioned, he has lost everything and he is uh, documenting what is going on in this country. Um, I think if anything, if anything, the silver lining of this unthinkable, inhumane loss of life that the Middle East is experiencing right now is that the world uh, pays attention and that we understand that this is not sustainable. Palestinians cannot live under, under oppression. Um, Israel cannot have a leader that you know claims to defend his country at all costs on one hand and funds terrorists on the other. Um, there has to be a humane and respectable solution for all people, nobody is inhuman in this conflict and they all have to be treated with dignity and respect. All right, everybody, um, thank you for joining me and Brian Derrick, my guest for this hour. As always, if you'd also like to support my ongoing legal battle against the Trump campaign, you can do that at thejessicadenson.com slash donate. We need your help and are so grateful for your support. As always, have a wonderful weekend and let your light shine.